Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is a privilege to be with you all here today. Once again, welcome to our second graders. Didn't they do a great job? Love it. A lot of energy. And uh, if, just a reminder, if you're a guest with us this morning, we welcome you to St. John's, and we're glad that you're here and hope that you will come back. Uh, we're actually going to continue this morning where we left off last week a little bit, uh, which, by the way, thank you for enduring me. If you were here last week, I was all amped up on NyQuil, and I don't know, I'm pretty sure I preached some heresy and uh, was incoherent, so please forgive me, and uh, Chris, will you talk to the trustees and uh, ensure my job for at least another week, all right? Anyway, last week we talked, or I attempted to talk, about people in Nehemiah's day, uh, how they returned to the Word of God. They had repented of their past, and they were repenting of their present. They were so upset with how far that they, as a people, had fallen away from God and from His Word, that they were weeping, they were grieving. And God came into the situation and said, don't grieve, don't weep, this is a good day. And they gathered together as God's people. They celebrated God's goodness and God's word and God's way of life for them. And in the midst of that, it, it moved them to action and they gave to the poor so that everyone in the community could celebrate. The people of Nehemiah's day, as we looked at last week, they came with humility before the word of God. That word, it united them together, inspired them to celebrate like we're doing this morning, and it inspired them to action to give to the poor. And then we fast forward and we looked at Luke chapter 4 for just a little bit, which we're going to dive deep into Luke chapter 4 this morning. But if you remember, Jesus read from Isaiah the prophet. And he had said that the words spoken by God through Isaiah the prophet were fulfilled in him in Jesus. Now, those words were spoken hundreds of years before Jesus. And Isaiah, he was a pastor. And pastors at times speak words of prophecy. So I hear as one of your pastors the Lord has given me a word of prophecy for you this, this morning, okay? All right? Second graders, i got a question for you today, okay? What are you going to be doing this afternoon? Anybody? Any, anybody doing something special this afternoon? Let me hear from you. What are you doing? Watching the Super Bowl. Watching the Super Bowl. All right. So you'll be watching the Super Bowl, okay? Now, the Super Bowl is played with one of these right here, right, my friends? Do you know what this is? I know. It's a football. It looks a little... It looks a little deflated, right? It doesn't look like where it should be. There's a reason for that. I'll get there in a second, my friends, okay? Do you know who's playing in the Super Bowl? Give it to me. Just give me one of the teams. Yes, sir. Rams, baby. Look on the screen there. Right there. All right. How many Rams fans we got here in the room today? That's it. This is California, my people. Come on. I've been, second graders, I've been a Rams fan since ancient times, okay? And I'm not a fair weather fan, believe it or not, no matter what you guys think out there, okay? You see this ball that I have here, there's a reason why it's deflated. It can't even be pumped up anymore, all right? I got this ball 35 years ago, my friends, and I want to see the signature on there. Do you see what that says? Jeff Kemp, quarterback of the Rams in the 80s, remember? Eric Dickerson, number 29, right there. I want to verify this with an adult, one of the Rams fans. You can see that right there, number 29. You can barely see Mike Lansford, kicker for the Rams, baby. I've been a Rams fan for a long time, and I've been holding on to this ball for 35 years for this very day because 1999, while it was a good year, they were still in St. Louis at the time, right? They're back home, California, for the Rams. All right. 
Now, the Rams are going to be knocking horns this afternoon with who? What, what other team? Give it to me. The Patriots. How many Patriot fans do we have in the room today? Come on, people. Come on. This is California. Now, the Rams, I mean, the Patriots are going to be represented by who? Who's the big man on the Patriots team? Can anybody give it to me? Tom Brady. Now, Tom Brady is the quarterback. He's also known as the what? You kind of gave it away. There it is. The GOAT, right? All right. The greatest of all time. That's what some people claim. Um, it's going to be an epic struggle of what? Rams versus GOAT, okay? <laughs> Ram versus GOAT. Now, I remember Isaiah the prophet predicting things in the future. He made predictions about the future, and he was a pastor. I said, Lord, show me a sign regarding Super Bowl 53, and he pointed me to Ezekiel 34, verse 17, which says, 34, verse 17, as for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will judge between rams and goats. <laughs> and so I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, truly, we're having fun today, okay. I've been waiting for this day, truly, Lord. I said, Lord, you shall judge between the rams and the goats. That is clear. And thank you for speaking to me, Lord. But, Lord, how shall you judge between them? And after much fasting and prayer this whole entire week, the Lord clearly said to me, open unto, open unto the word of Leviticus. So I opened unto Leviticus. Then he said, turn to Leviticus 16, <laughs> verse 15. And it says, he shall slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people. All right? Word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. All right? There it is, my friends. I'm going to put this ball away. You can verify this afterwards. Man, this is, I do need some help. It doesn't inflate anymore, so if anybody knows how to do all that, we can uh, help me out with that. All right. All right. All right. Right. The rams shall slaughter the goat. Now, some of you Patriot fans out there, there were, there were a couple of you, and you are welcome. All are welcome in God's house here, all right? <laughs> You're pretty disturbed, I know, right now by that prophetic word that I gave to you. You wanted God to act in the way that you think he should act. But maybe you need to have a little humility before his word, like the people in Nehemiah's day. And come on, I've been waiting 35 years for this day, all right? It's going to be fun. It's the Ram's day. All joking aside, we're going to throw that away there for a little bit. We're going to get a little bit more serious this morning, second graders. I know, thank you for tolerating me for a moment. But we're going to talk a little bit about maybe how much you Patriot fans felt for a second when I gave that prophetic word a moment ago. Just a fraction of that anger that you felt toward me just a moment ago is depicted in our Luke text today. Now, some of you may have wanted, you Patriot fans, you may want to come and rip the mic off my hand and maybe take me off the stage. I'm pretty sure that you didn't want to do what happened in our gospel reading today. So we're going to take a look at it. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He, that's Jesus, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And he's a hometown boy. He went to Nazareth and on the Sabbath day, on Sunday, he went to the synagogue. He went to the church as was his custom because he was a good church going man. And he stood up to read, verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, this is from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. We talked about this last week a little bit. Isaiah is prophesying hundreds of years before Jesus what the Messiah is going to be like. Good news to the poor, literally to the poor and metaphorically to those poor in spirit. There's going to be sight for the blind, actual healing, but also healing of those who are blinded by dark hearts. There's going to be freedom for prisoners, the oppressed free. God's people had been oppressed by various governments all throughout history. When Jesus quoted this at the time, it was the Romans. So the people are thinking he's going to set us free from the oppression of the Romans, but he's also taking it to a deeper level, a spiritual level, those of us who have been oppressed by sin. Freedom comes in all sorts of different forms. We sang about that all this morning. Not just freedom from government, not just freedom from actual prison. In fact, just this past week, there was a guy working at my house. We're doing some work at our home and uh, had a great conversation with him. His name is Mike. And uh, he was telling me his story, telling me about his life about 22 years ago, how he was put in prison because of drugs. And he talked about when he was in prison, that even though he was behind bars, he found freedom there. He found true freedom. God found him there. He was baptized. He came to faith in the Lord. And he told this awesome story of freedom in the midst of being in prison. It's part of what Isaiah was prophesying about freedom in God, in Jesus, even when there are circumstances in our lives that are imprisoning us. Verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 20, Jesus continues and says, He rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was saying, in that little church gathering in Nazareth, he's saying, today this scripture has been fulfilled. That means that it has begun. It has started. And it will continue for generations to come to be accomplished. He's saying, something new has begun in me. Something new has begun in Jesus. Jesus was coming to free, to release all of creation. Freeing not only us, but all the world that we are living in from, from, from being bound. Bound to brokenness, bound to the fall bound to sin. He said, I've come to start the greatest restoration project of all. Verse 22 says, all spoke well of him, right? They were amazed at the gracious words from, that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. He's a hometown boy. We know him. He's one of us. And so up to this point, everything's going great. They're thinking all this good stuff that Jesus was talking about, quoting that Isaiah scripture, he's going to do for us. The Jewish people in Rome, Rome is going to go down and we will rule again. Life is going to be good. Our team is going to win the Super Bowl. The Jewish people will rule again. But then verse 23 comes. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you're going to tell me, do here in your hometown what we heard, what we heard you did over there in Capernaum. The people are saying, do a miracle for us. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, as another prophet, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, Yet not one of them was cleansed, 
only Naaman, the Syrian. Jesus is saying to them, if all you want, if all you want from me is to do a miracle just for you, then you don't know why I've come. That's why he quotes Elijah the prophet, Elisha the prophet, prophets who were not welcomed in Israel at critical times. God sent those prophets to the Gentiles, sent it to a widow in Zarephath, to a Syrian leper. That's radical. Widows, lepers, foreigners. They were looked down upon. They were low class. They were outsiders. They were not part of the inside. They weren't in the club. Jesus was saying in those words, he was saying, I have not just come just for you. He's saying, I'm here for all of creation. I'm here for all people, male and female, Jew and Gentile, able and disabled, married and widowed, rich and poor. That was radical. Now, just out of curiosity, what would I have to say up here? What would I have to say up here for you to actually physically come up here, remove me from this stage, and end my days what amount of anger would i have to stir in you to do that you see the people that just spoke so well of jesus that our hometown boy is back amazed at his words all of a sudden they took a turn in verse 28 they said all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard jesus talking like this they wanted their jesus to be for them they wanted a miracle for them, not for all those Gentiles out there. And they were so mad at this rabbi, this teacher, this pastor, this prophet, their own hometown boy, that verse 29 says they got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. This is a picture of the cliff that many people think we're going to throw him off. But then something miraculous happened. Verse 30, he walked right through the crowd, and he went on his way. They witnessed a miracle that day, but it wasn't the miracle that they wanted. Because, you see, Jesus came to release and to free and to break the chains of being bound for all of creation, for all humanity. He came to bring good news and healing and freedom, as we've been singing about all morning, for everyone. And the people of Nazareth, they couldn't handle that. So much so that they wanted to end his life. And in that moment, we see two different approaches to God and to his word in our life. From last week to this week. The people in Nehemiah's day that we looked at last week, they were humble, they were repentant. Before God and his word and God forgave them and God called them to unity. He called them to celebration. He called them to action and to a life filled with purpose. The people in Nazareth, Luke chapter 4, they were confronted by God's word as well. They were confronted by the actual living word of God, Jesus Christ. They didn't respond with humility. They responded with hubris. They responded with pride. They responded with anger. They responded with violence. I have a feeling that all of us here in the room, we kind of vacillate between those two camps. There are times when God's word comes into our lives and it challenges us, it challenges our behavior, challenges our thoughts, challenges our worldview, challenges our lifestyle. And we look in the mirror of God's word and we're honest with God, we're honest with each other, we're honest with ourselves and we say, Lord, forgive me, I've done wrong, please renew me. And then there are other times we hear God's word and we, we fight back. 
And we think we know more than God. And we want to push him out of town. And we want to throw him off a cliff. And my friends, I'm telling you from my own experience and from many others before, humility before God, humility before his word is always the better way to go. Because that, that's where you find forgiveness. That's where you find grace. That's where you find a faith family. That's where you find a life that is filled with purpose. That's where you find the Jesus of Luke chapter 4 who brings to us Gentiles. Pretty sure most of us in the room are Gentiles this morning. He brings to us Gentiles good news, healing, and freedom. Because you see, an epic battle far greater than ram versus goat, ram versus the patriot, was began with, Je- began with Jesus 2,000 years ago. He came to battle sin. He came to battle a broken creation. He came to battle a fallen humanity. And in Jesus, we see that it's not about rams or goats or football games or tossing around the pigskin or whatever you want to call it, right? Life is so much more than that. Because what at stake is the skin of humanity, of human life. And it's a war. It's not a game. Well, my friends, I'm here to tell you that his team, his family, his kingdom will prevail. Not a goat, not a ram, but a lamb. The prophecy says from Revelation 17, 14, the true prophecy, not mine, says they will wage war against the lamb. But the lamb will triumph over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. That's you and me. That's us. And so the image of the lamb, the Agnes Dei, is the image that we lift up this morning above all. The image of him being the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He triumphs not with the power of might, but the power of sacrifice, the power of love. When he died on the cross for the entire creation, Jews and us Gentiles, insider and outsider alike. That's why John, chapter 1, verse 29, when he saw Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The world. He came to redeem and to win. Our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. I love that image because when we follow him, we're humble before his word. We're humble before his mission to all nations. And we're moved beyond celebration to action. The guy that was working at my house, Mike, told me a great story of him finding freedom in prison. He's a great example of what this looks like. A great example of what it means to follow the lamb in victory. Because he just didn't find freedom in prison. After he got out, he and his wife and now his grown kids, they all have a huge prison ministry. They go back into the prison. Him, his wife, his daughter, his son, and the grandkids even now. They go back into prison and they preach freedom to those who are bound behind bars. He found a life of purpose. Bringing that whole message. Mike and his family, they follow the lamb. They are fulfilling the words of Isaiah, the prophet, 
the words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He has sent me to bring recovery of sight for the blind. He has sent me to set the oppressed free. That's what the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, does and accomplishes in us and through us as a church. Our Lamb has conquered sin. There is victory. He has defeated it forever. He has defeated the grave. He has given us eternal life. And that's the greatest championship of all. Amen, my friends?